In your Bibles tonight, we would invite you to turn to the Gospel according to John, to chapter 1. We'll be reading from verses 29 through 41. In your pew Bible, you can find this on page 1,221. After we read from that part of Scripture, we'll also be reading from the Heidelberg Catechism uh, this evening, Lord's Day uh, 12, and you can find that in the Forms and Prayers book on page 213. We're continuing the exposition of the doctrines, the truths that the Bible reveals that are summarized in the Apostles' Creed, dealing specifically with the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord's Day 11 has dealt with the biblical teaching concerning His name, Jesus, the Lord saves, uh, given in Matthew 1, verse 21, His name shall be called Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. Lord's Day 12 takes a small step forward and considers the title uh, that is given to our Savior, the title of Christ. And so in that connection, we want to read from John 1, beginning at verse 29 through verse 41. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Thus far this evening, our reading uh, from the Bible. Uh, we'll then turn to Lord's Day 12, which has two questions. It begins with question 31 asking, Why is he, that is the second person of the Trinity, incarnate, Jesus, why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? And the answer, because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance. Our only high priest who was delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually intercedes for us before the Father and our eternal King, who governs us by His Word and Spirit, and who guards us and keeps us in the deliverance He has won for us. Question 32 then asks, but why are you called a Christian? And the answer, because by faith I am a member of Christ. 
and so I share in his anointing. I am anointed to confess his name, to present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks, to strive with a free conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for eternity. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we come together this evening to consider this portion of Scripture and this theological truth, I want to begin by asking, asking a most serious question. We read in verse 41 that Andrew found his brother Simon Peter and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Have you found the Messiah? Have you found the Messiah, the one anointed as the only Savior? You notice that this was the thrust of John's ministry. In the written word, you can almost see the exuberance of John as he says to anyone who will listen, Behold the Lamb of God. That word behold doesn't just simply mean note with passing curiosity. You know, sometimes you take a road trip and you're traveling with someone and you might see a landmark, you might pass by something of interest, and you say, oh, look at that. And maybe the person in the vehicle does look at that, and they go, oh, that's interesting. I've never seen that before. But a few seconds later, it's merely forgotten as you go on your journey. The word behold that John uses does not mean Oh, just simply look at that with some passing curiosity. But rather, the word behold means perceive, understand. So when I ask the question, have you found the Messiah? I ask the question in this sense. Have you found the Messiah in this sense of understanding who He is? That He is the one and only mediator. The one and only chief prophet to reveal to us the way to the Father. That He is the one and only ultimate high priest to make not only the atoning sacrifice, but also the intercession that is so vital for us. That He is the one and only King of kings and Lord of lords, who rules over absolutely every, as Abraham Kuyper famously said, square inch of this created realm. I would submit to you this evening that if we have found the Messiah, then our hearts will beat with an exuberant confidence and joy. Then we will understand something of why we are called a Christian. Why we are called a Christian at the end of the day is not so much that we have undergone some ritual, that we have received some form of education. All of that is good and important, but that's not the essence of why we are called Christian. We're very, very thankful for our covenantal upbringings, for the faith of our fathers, 
But at the end of the day, we're not called Christians because we had Christian fathers and grandfathers, Christian mothers and grandmothers, that we went to Christian schools, that we received Christian baptism. At the end of the day, we are Christians if we have found the Messiah with the exercise of a personal faith that doesn't remain isolated, but a personal faith that is exercised in community, in community of those who have also found the Messiah. And so if you look at a local congregation, a local church, a local body of believers, the very heartbeat of who we are ought to be that we would say, maybe not out loud with actual words, but that our conduct, uh, the very life of our congregation would testify that we are a people who have found the Messiah, who understand who Jesus is as the Christ, the one ordained by the Father and qualified by the Spirit to accomplish our redemption. Well, to help us in understanding the work of the Messiah, we want to consider our theme this evening, redemption by the work of Christ. And we just note again that Jesus is the personal name that God gives to His only begotten Son upon the incarnation. Jesus would have continually echoed forth this testimony, the Lord saves. But Christ is His title. Christ, meaning the anointed one, is his title. And redemption, salvation, deliverance comes through the work of Christ. We'll notice, first of all, the prophetic revelation of redemption, and then secondly, the priestly sacrifice for redemption, and then thirdly, the kingly preservation in redemption. So you notice the structure that is quite familiar to uh, the Reformed faith, gleaned from the pages of Holy Scripture of prophet, priest, and of king. In connection with prophet, we'll look at the revelation of the way of redemption, and in connection with the office of priest, the sacrifice necessary for redemption, and in relationship to the office of king, the preservation in that redemption. So first of all then, redemption comes by the work of Christ through the prophetic revelation of redemption's prophets. Prophets had one basic task, one basic purpose, all throughout the Old Testament, And their one basic task was to receive a word from God and then to declare that word to men. So you might think of them as conduits or channels through which revelation, a showing forth of something that otherwise would have been veiled, unknown, but God is pleased out of His grace and out of His mercy to make the unknown realities of the way of salvation known unto us and unto our children through the means of the prophetic ministry, to foretell and to reveal, especially things that were to uh, be accomplished in the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the work of the prophets in the Old Testament all led up to and all foreshadowed and were all fulfilled in the culminating arrival of the great prophet, who is much more than just a prophet, but the great prophet, Jesus Christ. And you can think of what the Apostle Paul says. It's not as if we have to somehow climb up into heaven. 
and try to sneak a peek into the eternal mysteries, nor do we plumb the depths in the underworld trying to discover uh, secret mysteries there in the spirit realm, but rather God has come to us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, to make known to us, to show us, to reveal to us all that we need to know for our salvation. And we want to stress simply this evening that that is the content of prophetic revelation. I borrow a statement that some of you are familiar with, and I don't know if it's original uh, with Alistair Begg, but it's often on his uh, podcast or his radio program. The main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. And I want you as a congregation, as I try to remind myself to remember that when it comes to what God has revealed to us, the main things are the plain things. God has plainly made known to us in His Word the way of salvation. Now, that doesn't mean that we have every last bit of our curiosity satisfied. There is a limit to our own finite understanding, and there is a limit to that which God has revealed unto us. But let us be assured that that which we need to know, God has revealed to us. And where has He revealed it? And I especially want to stress this for the young people of this congregation. Where has God revealed the way of salvation? In His holy word. And nothing more needs to be added, and nothing more can be added. So be greatly alarmed when you hear someone say, Well, I have some new insight, never before understood, never before discovered. If you only come join my little group, Come join my little movement. I'll show you something more. I assure you, you can study the history of the church, and heretic after heretic after heretic has said, in essence, come follow me and I will show you something more. I will show you something in addition. But why are we called Christians? Because we believe with confidence that that which God has desired us to know concerning the way of salvation is found in the Holy Scriptures as they testify to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And with that confidence that the Holy Spirit works within our hearts, we then as Christians echo really, you might say, what Andrew said to his brother and also what Peter then comes to say in Matthew 16, verse 16. It's interesting and I think it's absolutely profound that Andrew comes in verse 41 to his own brother Simon. He said to him, we have found the Messiah. And later in Matthew 16, Jesus will ask Simon Peter, who do men say that I am? And Simon Peter goes through a, a list. Well, some say this and some say that. And that's exactly what you find in our culture. You ask, well, who do you say Jesus is? Some will say, well, you know, he was a, a, a good guru of spiritual things. He showed a good way to live and a noble way to die. But then Jesus asked Simon Peter, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter's answer, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. He echoes what Andrew had told him. And this is an essential part of what it means to be a Christian. To behold, to acknowledge, to perceive, to understand that the historic person of Jesus of Nazareth, incarnate by the work of the Holy Spirit upon the Virgin Mary, 
who was brought forth in Bethlehem, who was wrapped in swaddling clothes, who was laid there in a manger, who grew and who developed in his wisdom and understanding, who then suffered and died a cruel death by the hands of the Roman authorities upon a cross, but then was risen from the dead, that this person, Jesus, who was an actual historic person, but an eternal being, according to his divine nature, that this is not some myth, this is not some fable, this is reality, and this is the person of our Savior. So what does it mean to be a Christian, to profess with confidence that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? I want to ask everyone who hears these words, are you convinced of that truth? Are you convinced that Jesus, as you read of him in the accounts of the Gospels, is the Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that brings us into our second point, the priestly sacrifice for redemption. Now, boys and girls, if you think of prophets being men who have a word from God and then come to to people and say, this is what God has told me, priests, they go the opposite direction. So prophets come from God to the people, but priests come from the people, and they go and they appear in the presence of God. And so if you think in the Old Testament of the the tabernacle or later of the temple, it wasn't that the prophets went into the holy place. It was the priest. And this also pointed forward to the work which Jesus Christ would accomplish. And here again we go back to that phrase that John mentioned numerous times. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because what a priest did was to present a sacrifice. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ does. Now, I want to be honest with you and recognize that you might say, well, this is basically the exact same thing that he talked about this morning. And it is. So we'll try to be concise, but we're not going to just omit this most important aspect of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can think of 1 John 2, verse 2. He himself, referring to Jesus Christ, is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, a big word, but a beautiful word. A meaningful word. Propitiation has this idea to to appease or to satisfy. To satisfy the righteous anger of God for our sin. And you can understand that there's a depth here that time does not afford us to plunge into. But we have to say, and this goes against so much of what our culture and also, sadly, the broad church is saying, we have to acknowledge that sin stirs up the wrath of God. 
But then we also can be quick to say propitiation satisfies or appeases the wrath of God. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. And part of what it means to really behold the Lamb of God, to see and to perceive and to understand with this powerful experiential reality that leads into discipleship, you'll notice that John says, behold the Lamb of God. And then two of his disciples say, show us where you are staying. Because they they pick up the task of discipleship. They follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they understood, although in a very limited, uh, with many, many a misunderstanding yet, that time and further instruction would begin to remedy. But they understood, here is the ultimate priest, the ultimate one who can satisfy for our sin. We have found the Christ. So, do you, do you see, do you understand the need that there is for propitiation? That, that somebody would appease the wrath of God for my sin. You see, this is not just some superficial, uh, moral, therapeutic deist being in the sky who just looks upon us with smiles and hopes that our day goes well and rubs our back when it doesn't. This is God. Infinite in His holy perfections. A God who must punish sin because of His holy perfections. But a God who in His infinite wisdom and in His grace and in His mercy has appointed another person who can satisfy in our place and that only person who can do that is the priest, Jesus the Christ, who has been ordained by the Father and appointed or qualified by the Spirit to fulfill such a weighty and necessary obligation. And this is the main thrust of the epistle of the Hebrews as we find it in Hebrews 9, verse 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood, Christ entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. I don't know if you've ever thought, and I don't think it's an overly morbid thought. I'm not saying that you have to dwell on it continually, But have you ever thought how you will cross the threshold from time into eternity? Have you ever thought how you will appear in the presence of a holy God before whom the angels have to cover their faces? I can tell you that the only way in which to cross safely from time into eternity, is to follow Jesus the Christ. To follow Jesus the Christ. Why are you called a Christian? Not necessarily because your diploma says that you graduated from a Christian school, although that's a wonderful privilege and benefit. Not because you can quote from memory some verse that you learned 
long, long ago. That also is a wonderful testimony to a faithful upbringing. Not because your mother was a devout saint, not in the Roman Catholic sense of the word, but in the covenantal sense of the word, and prayed earnestly for your soul. That also is a wonderful privilege. Why are you called a Christian? Because I put all of my hope in the satisfaction that Jesus Christ has accomplished as priest. See, I believe that some people in the broad church, they're hesitant to use this title Christian because they don't really understand. Christian just means follower of Christ. And is that not the essence of faith? To say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's why I'm called a Christian. Because I put all of my hope, I put all of my confidence, I find all of my sense of security for time and eternity, not in myself, but in Him. You can think of this on an earthly level. Why am I called a citizen of the United States? Because this is where I dwell. This is where I reside. This is where I was born. This is where I was raised. And, and to a certain degree, rightfully so, I, I love this land. And I love the principles within the Constitution. Now, I'm not elevating that to the status of our Christianity. I'm just giving an illustration. And, and so if someone were to say, ah, don't call yourself a United States citizen anymore. Well, I would be somewhat offended. I would say, absolutely, I'm going to declare my citizenship of the United States of America. And so, even at a much, much, much greater level, if someone were to come and say, don't use that word Christian anymore, I would say, I have to, and I want to, because that's who I am. That's my very identity, just because many don't understand properly what it means to be a Christian does not mean that I'm going to forfeit that beautiful word. I am a Christian. I am a follower of Christ. And I will follow him throughout this life. And I will follow him into eternity. And I will follow him to the throne of God Almighty. And I will take my stand there with all of my faith and all of my hope focused upon the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But that's not only his work of a priestly sacrifice. It's also his kingly work in our third point of preservation. Now I believe that all three of these offices, or this threefold office to be more precise, is important for us to understand. But if we find ourselves, if we find ourselves perhaps confused about the way of salvation then the emphasis perhaps could be focused more on the prophetic work of Jesus Christ. If we find ourselves struggling with a sense of assurance of our salvation, then we could focus perhaps more specifically on the priestly work. But if we find ourselves frightened by the state of the world, then I believe that we ought to focus in on the kingly office. Of Jesus the Christ. King of kings and Lord of lords, do you, do I understand that? 
when we listen to the news, when we see cultural events. This is the real question. We profess Jesus is the Christ. Do we understand and do we appreciate the fact that he governs, he rules, in the sense of Psalm 2, with absolute authority, every single square inch of the created realm? Do you believe that tonight? That no matter who the governing official is, that he or she is a mere pawn in the hand of Almighty God. No matter what the powers of the nations may be plotting, do you believe that as they make their plots, Jesus Christ sits on his throne and laughs? Because he knows that he is the one who has all authority. And perhaps we think, and I've heard this expressed, and I understand the sentiment behind it, but I've heard some people who may be older in their years say that they have great fears for the next generation of the church. And I say, I understand that sentiment, but if you have great fears for the next generation of the church, don't look at the next generation of the church, look at the king of the church. He will gather his people, and he will preserve his people. What did Christ himself say in John 10 as he refers to himself as the good shepherd? He says that no one, no, no, no power will be able to, to pluck or to steal or to, to snatch one of his people away. No one. Now, that doesn't mean that the church militant at times isn't ravaged by the influence of sin, isn't devastated by apostasy. That doesn't mean that the love of many doesn't grow cold. That doesn't deny the fact that the days will come and perhaps have come in which men will no longer endure sound doctrine but will give in to the itching ear symptom and will gather for themselves teachers uh, that will itch their ears and scratch their backs and just tell them nice pleasantries. But it does mean this, that Jesus Christ and His purposes to gather together His people, those purposes will not be interrupted even in the slightest. And to be a Christian, to be a Christian ought to mean that with good confidence, we face the future not with fears and doubts of uncertainties, but whether with this absolute conviction that the battle is won. Now, the fight is still ongoing. We understand that. We are not yet in the, the consummation. We're not yet in the new heaven and the new earth. So the fighting still goes on. The spiritual fighting, sadly, many other forms of fighting still go on, but the spiritual fighting against sin and against Satan and against uh, the influences of the fallen world, the pursuit of holiness still goes on in the day-to-day -day battle as we fight against Satan who goes about as a roaring lion. But you see, the Christian can and ought to say, in all of these things, as the Apostle Paul said, 
We are more than conquerors. And I can't help but ask myself, do you really give that, that statement in your own conduct? Do people who know you here in Pala, do they, do they say, you know, there, there's something about that guy. He, he, he has this sense about him. It's almost as if he thinks that he has conquered the world. Again, not in a proud, selfish sort of a way, but in a relying faith upon Jesus the Christ sort of way. Forgive me, perhaps, if we again borrow a sports analogy. At times it's said, you know, if a, if a team, and it's basketball season, I know it's other sports seasons, but you know, if a team has the momentum behind their back, they're, they says they're, you know, they're playing downhill. They just have all the momentum. Shots seem to fall with ease. There's a quickness in the steps of the players. And in contrast, if a team is defeated, if they're down, you can see it even in their body language. The players on the bench, their shoulders are slumped. The players on the court, their heads hang down. And I wonder sometimes about the church. What does our, so to speak, body language say? Do we believe that we are defeated? Are we looking down, so to speak, at our shoes? Thinking, remember how good it was in the first quarter? Remember how good it was? In the 30s, and the 50s, and the 70s. But it's not the 30s. It's not the 50s. It's not the 70s. It's the year of our Lord, though. 2023. Are we confident? Professing that Jesus is the Christ the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so in closing, I ask you again, as I ask myself, have you found the Messiah? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we do believe, and yet we also come with a prayer Help our unbelief. Uh, grant us a healthy, a biblical, a mature, and increasing knowledge of who Jesus the Christ is in his work as prophet, as priest, and as king. And grant us also an understanding of who we are as those who follow after Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we embrace our identity as Christian. And may that have a real significance to us and a real power for us that we might go forth uh, strength to strength until we appear in Zion. And so we ask for a blessing upon your word as it has been proclaimed again this evening. For Jesus' sake, amen.